This is Women Crush Wednesdays from New York Women in Film and Television. We cover all facets of women working in entertainment and media, along with highlighting accomplishments of our members and previewing upcoming events. Welcome listeners. I'm Janine McGoldrick and I'm so happy to be with you today and to be here with my co-host. Hey everyone, I'm Tammy Reese and I'm happy to be here with you as well, Janine. I'm so excited to be hosting with you again. It's been a while, but it's March 1st, the beginning of Women's History Month. How exciting. Yes, yes, it's very exciting. And this episode is all about celebrating the history of women and entertainment. Instead of bringing you information and interviews about recent or upcoming projects, we're taking a look back with two great retrospective programs happening right here in New York. But before we get to that, we wanted to spotlight some female pioneers to inspire you to seek out some of their work. Right. We so often talk about the lack of female representation in studio executive positions on set in the writer's room and especially during award season. And it's not because women have only recently begun working in film and television like the last few decades. No, we've been here all along since the beginning. <laughs> exactly. We've in been over a hundred years, you would think <laughs> that we would be as equal to the men that have been working in this industry. So we just kind of wanted to give a shout out to some of these great women that paved the way. Absolutely. Frances Marion was an award-winning screenwriter and legend in the silent film era, who often wrote for Mary Pickford. Her film, like The Big House and The Champ, tells stories of people living through violence, poverty, glory, addiction, and failure. There is Marion E. Wong, founded an all-Chinese production company, Mandarin Film Company, in Oakland, California, before 1920, which is amazing. And that company released, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, The Curse of the Guan Guan, When the Far East Mingles with the West. And that film featured an all-Chinese cast. And in addition to being a radical American-born Chinese businesswoman, Wan was also an actress and a director. Nowadays, there are fewer women in horror, one of my favorite genres, than in drama and comedy. But 1925's The Lost World was scripted by Marianne Fairfax, who based the film on Sir Arthur Cohen Doyle's 1912 novel. The Fairfax was a pioneer in the use of stop-motion animation and paving the road for new genres in film. She was making dino films decades before Spielberg even was born. See, look at that. Spielberg has a, a debt to pay to her. There was also director and film editor Dorothy Arzner. She was a California-born gay feminist working in theater and film and radio. And she was actually able to find success in both silent and talkie films. She directed several films, including The Wild Party with Clara Bow, Dance Girl Dance with Maureen O'Hara, and Lucille Ball. Pretty big names there. Wow. <laughs> Hazel Scott, a jazz pianist and singer, became the first Black woman to have a TV show in 1950. 
The Hazel Scott Show was a 15-minute long musical program featuring Scott performing show tunes and other numbers live on the show. I got to watch that, Janine. I got to look that up. Yeah, I am a jazz fan, and I actually have to admit that I've never heard of Hazel Scott. So I'm really looking forward to doing a, a deep dive into her career. Absolutely. Me too. Yeah. See, so look at this. We, we've learned something about some wonderful pioneering women and we hope listeners you have too. So now that you are all primed to dig into content from the Wayback Machine, let's get back to those retrospectives we mentioned earlier. And funny enough, when putting together this episode, we uh, did not realize at first that both of these programs that we're going to talk about are happening at the Anthology Film Archives. So maybe they should be paying us some advertising money for this. I don't know. For sure. From March 24th to 28th, they will be featuring a long overdue retrospective of the work of movement image artist, writer, and poet Abigail Child. A leading figure of the generation of experimental filmmakers that emerged in the late 1970s and early 1980s, Child has continued to make innovative and challenging work in a dizzying variety of forms and on a wide range of topics. She first gained widespread recognition with the seven films presented in the series under the title, Is That What You Were Born For? But her body of work extends far beyond encompassing her rarely screened but remarkable early films, Suburban Trilogy and the Foreign Film Series, as well as the feature-length works produced over the past decade, which include the experimental biography films Unbound, Scenes from the Life of Mary Shelley, Acts and Intermissions, Emma Goldman in America, and the most recent, Origin of the Species. The retrospective gathers together all these films and many more, offering a rare chance to experience and grapple with Child's body of work as a whole. Child has restlessly explored different mediums and modes, often working with pre-existing footage drawn from Hollywood films, advertisements, home movies, and many other sources which she radically transforms in ways that unite formal experimentation and social political analysis. That is a lot. And her work sounds fascinating. You can find a list of all the films being featured in the Anthology Film Archives website, which we have listed in our show notes. Next, Nyla's very own Women's Film Preservation Fund, along with Anthology, is presenting a special preservation premiere of Ariel Doherty's and Carol Clement's 1980 film, Serviva. And like Child's early work, it was inspired by the 1970s artist movement. Penny Moy Harper brings us an interview with Ariel, along with Anne Deborah Levy, who's the former co-chair of NYWIF's Women's Film Preservation Fund. So over to you, Penny. Hi, I am Penny Malloy Harper, and I'm so delighted to have an opportunity to interview Anne Deborah Levy and Ariel Doherty. Anne Deborah Levy is the former co-chair of NYWIF's Women Film and Preservation Fund, and Ariel Doherty is the director of Serviva. The movie Serviva is a Women Film Preservation Fund premiere. Welcome, welcome. Thank Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so delighted to um, see you again and speak to you. Thank you for your time. And I would like to speak first with you. As the former co-chair of NYWIF's Women's Film Preservation Fund, 
WFPF, you have been active with WFPF for 10 years. Can you please tell our listeners about NYWIFT Women Film Preservation Fund? Sure. Well, the Women's Film Preservation Fund was founded in 1995 by NYWIFT member Barbara Moss. And it was, I think, a dream of hers because when she had been in college years before, um, a professor who she asked uh, why he hadn't included any women in the discussions of films said, oh, well, there aren't any women directors. And she knew that wasn't true. So our real mission is to demonstrate that women have been involved in filmmaking since silent cinema days. And we've preserved about 150 films from silent days till the present. You know, often they have been erased from history. They have not gotten credit for achievements they actually pioneered when the men who did the same things later got the credit. They uh, were often, I found this out when I was doing some research on uh, television films, uh, you know, someone would say, well, you know, her title was assistant, but she was really a producer and they wouldn't give women those titles. So we're here to, first of all, say, hey, you know, this isn't the way it was, but also many of these films never really had good distribution or even if they did, um, because film was considered a commodity, nobody really thought that it should be preserved. So the stocks weren't stable, it wasn't stored properly. And what's happened is a lot of films um, either, you know, there's nothing that you can show nowadays, or we really need to make new masters that will last forever and to archive them. And so that's, you know, essentially what we do is we preserve films through a grant um, and um, the films have to have originated on film, not video. And then we do two other things. One is we make sure they get archived so that all this, you know, money and work we're putting into making sure they get (laughs) preserved to last, but also to make them accessible to scholars and other people who want to study them. And then the third thing that we do is we give them screenings, we promote them, we're trying to bring them in front of audiences who either may have never seen them or who, you know, forgot that they had. And a lot of them really resonate today, even if they were made many, many years ago. And, you know, we're doing this both to, you know, make the audiences aware of all that women have done to serve as an example for women filmmakers who are still facing hardships in the industry, and also to show the need for preserving film, which is urgent. There are more films by both men and women that need to be preserved than can be with the amount of money available. And usually people think it's more sexy to pay to see a new film get made than to take care of an old one. But um, also the clock is ticking on a lot of these things, on a lot of these films, as in the case was with Ariel's. Um, Her film was made on a film stock or printed on one in the 70s that was not so stable and was starting to turn pink and lose some of its color. And she didn't know where her negative was. So we were able to do 
a pretty good preservation from a print, but had she waited longer, we might not be seeing as much of the film as we can now. It's an yes. urgent thing. <laughs> yes, it is. And that that's what that's one question that I was going to ask you, Anne. I'm just I'm just curious, what criteria is used when choosing films to preserve and screen? of all, we have an application process and actually our grant just opened. So if anyone wants to apply, they should go to our website, which is womensfilmpreservationfund.org. And there is a place with the guidelines as well as the application. And um, basically, we preserve films by American women made anywhere in the world or films by women from other places that were made in this country. And we believe we're the only organization in the world doing this. Um, so anyhow, um, any woman who has a film that fits that criteria that was made on film um, that needs preservation can apply. They can also email WFPF at nywif.org and our two very helpful co-chairs, Kirsten Larvik and Erica Yeomans are very good about answering questions. We may make recommendations, but then we have a separate selection committee that's made up of people in various fields of cinema studies um, and film distribution and um, in institutions like MoMA that reviews the applications and makes the final decision. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say, you know, we only take this or that. We have basically every genre from every period um, of cinema history, and we want to be as inclusive as we can. We have preserved uh, films by people of all colors, but that doesn't mean we don't need more. Well, Anne, I just wanted you also to please tell us about two very important events that are coming up. Can you share those events with us, please? Sure. Well, the first one is premiering um, Ariel film, Serviva, um, along with another uh, film that we preserved earlier um, in a program at Anthology that's entitled Two Films on Art and Survival, Ariel Dougherty's and Carol Clements' Serviva and Glass Gardens by Lisa Crafts, which is an animated film. Ariel's film is a little bit more pragmatic about the issues a group of women were facing, and actually we still face these days, trying to get their work shown in the male-dominated film world, but also and also art shown um, in the. I guess it was more about art in the, that movie rather than film, but okay. also also issues of you know how much you compromise your art form to make money off of it to survive and what does that do to yes. your time to make art it's going to be at anthology film archives on march 22nd at 7 p.m there is a discount for nywith members and the tickets are already on sale on anthology's website although you will be able to buy tickets at the door the screening uh, will be followed by a discussion and a Q&A with both Ariel and Lisa and um, me. And uh, we really hope you'll all come. Well, this also, is a great segue in to introduce Ariel. So Ariel Doherty is the director of Serviva. 
Ariel has been a powerhouse of activism and support for women's filmmaking since 1972, when she co-founded Women Make Movies. For the past 50 years, she has advocated for women's filmmaking and mentored women filmmakers throughout her involvement with several organizations and alternative screening venues through her teaching and writing. Ariel, can you share information about these unique and wonderful experiences, please? Actually, when I got out of college in 1969 and the women's movement was very vibrant, it became very clear that one, there were really no women's women identified films going on at the time period. <clears throat> I'd taken a film class in, in college where the only woman's film we screened um, was Lenny Riefenstahl's um, Triumph of the Will. Uh, and also I'd, I'd been teaching filmmaking to kids in an after school program as a part of a, an extension of a class I was taking. So I got hired by Young Filmmakers Foundation in the fall after graduation. So I started teaching filmmaking at the same time that I also then started collaborating with other women making women's films. So actually the roots of Women Make Movies go back a little earlier. Um, and the name Women Make Movies actually comes out of Dee Dee Halleck's film called children make movies. So it's the, even the organizational name is, is identified with the youth film movement. Um, and, and the other thing is in that time period, there were really only a handful of film schools. I think it's very hard today to remember back then that the opportunities were really not very large. But one of the, when we incorporated women make movies, the sort of several key things we wanted to do. One was to work and teach community women to make their own short dramatic films um, so that there were stories about their own lives. And we also set up distribution and distribution had sort of two purposes. One was while funding women identified projects at the time was relatively popular with groups like the New York State Council on the Arts, we knew that wouldn't necessarily always be the case and we needed an in earned income stream. And the other thing is that we wanted these works to go out and, and Sheila, who I started, Sheila Page, who I started Women Make Movies with, she and I had been told with our earlier work, women were not an audience. So we sort of thought, hmm, this is sort of odd since pretty much always women have been going to go to the movies. So setting up distribution seemed to be very instrumental in not only the survival of the organization, but in terms of getting women's projects out to the public. And actually, Serviva is the last um, officially produced film from the organization, probably during... during during that 10-year time period, we worked on, started, initiated 40 projects, not all on film, a lot on video, which unfortunately many are lost. But, um, but you know, a, a, a body of a collection of 40 works in that time period is pretty significant. That is very significant, super significant. Well, Ariel, can you tell our audience what the movie Survivor is about and how did you come to direct this film? 
1976, I, with another woman, moved to the country. Um, and there was already an already existing women's support group. One of the things that that group had done was be involved in protesting the snuff films that were being produced in various countries outside of the U.S. at that time period. And we found that being artists in a rural community was much more difficult than being an artist in the city. You know, and so the struggle of being an artist and you're sort of dependent on going back to the city for part of your economy and the dynamic of that. And then also having a women's support group um, encourage your development of your work, but also then we created this possibility of doing a first woman show in the county where we lived. And it also centers around a mural, a creation of the lead artist is is by my collaborator, Carol Clement. She plays the the lead protagonist in the film. And she, you know, sends a, a poster idea, a, a mural idea off to um a a contest and then is rejected and so then the group decides well maybe it should be painted on the side of a community building but actually it only gets created in animation you know the film is very much a reflection of the time period and the struggle of artists Serviva is kind of an encapsulation of that dynamic of struggle for women artists back then but also still to today and Anne, you have been instrumental in preserving this film. What does this film, Survivor, mean to you? Well, I think I was intrigued by it um, when we, even when we were just looking at the applications, because it is very much a document of the period, although most of those issues still resonate today. Um, and there are things in it like the women's group is, you think you're actually watching a documentary, even though there's definitely a storyline until about halfway through when some animated sequences enter and you kind of realize and some scenes that you know can't possibly really be real. But there's a very, you know, the women's group is very accurately depicted. Um, and there are things like, Folk music is used in the film, which is very much a part of the protest movements of the 70s. And just a lot of things um, that remind me of what that period was like. And were also used in a lot of filmmaking. There aren't that many films that I've seen where I feel like women artists or really any artists are depicted in a very realistic way. I mean... Hollywood certainly has cliches about, you know, the exotic women artists. And um, these people look very real and normal in the film. And they're dealing with, you know, real life issues about, you know, and I think the question of how do you make art and um, what do you do compromise um, to make money with it are very real issues. How do you make enough time to do your own work? Um, and can you do it when you get away from all this other nonsense you have to spend your, your life on? I mean, I think those are important issues. So, Ariel, you also established SPLICE, a film residency program in rural southern New Mexico, where you mentor young filmmakers. Tell us more about SPLICE. Well, SPLICE is... Um, 
you know, I, I have um, an out building that's a guest room. And I, so I decided that that would um, make a good um, situation for artists to come, you know, have some time on, uh, you know, where they concentrate on their own work in terms of film. It's possible that you could be writing, one could be writing a script or editing a film. I've had a couple of filmmakers. I'm about to have actually visual, visual artists come and visit. Um, but, it, you know, part of it is to sort of have an exchange um, with more filmmakers and to build up more of a, a film community. Sounds great. So, Anne and Ariel, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners in regard to WFPF? I think we've covered most of the, the bases. Preservation is a really urgent thing. Um, it has a clock ticking because a lot of films are have been made on film stocks that aren't stable. And if you wait too long, there can be very little left to preserve, if anything at all. We were actually very fortunate in Ariel's case that she applied for the grant when she did because her film was made on a stock in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, that was not stable and was turning pink, no matter how well you stored it, was starting to lose some of the emulsion. So we were fortunately able to get to it before you couldn't see the film and do something that looks pretty good. It's important that people pay attention to the need to do it. Um, I also do want to remind everybody to come to the screening on March 22nd at Anthology, um, two films on art and survival. Thank you. And Ariel, do you have any last words that you want to say regarding your film? I just want to, you know, thank Anne for being my shepherd through the process, um, because I, 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 I really actually found... Um, you know, sort of dealing with a lot of the the lab stuff and the language about digital, very complicated. I'm really a, a, a film, you know, emulsion lover where the film is, you know, tactile and physical. <laughs> it, it was a great process and I'm glad it's almost done. Um, I should comment that sure. uh, shepherd is a term that we use on the committee which might be uh, translated as liaison. Um, each um, grantee um, is assigned to a person on the committee to you know, help them get through the preservation. So I was assigned to work on Ariel's film. And I should say that um, although we preserve films made on film, and in almost every case, we make sure we end up with a film print um, and a film negative. We also do a lot of the process digitally nowadays because it makes a lot of things much more possible than it would have been in the days when there was only photochemical preservations. Also, we make sure that there are digital formats for showing films that we preserve because so many places do not show uh, film on film anymore. And the one archival print we made is, is there in the archive in case, you know, when even newer technology comes out someday and somebody wants to do another preservation, they know what the film really looked like. Um, but we don't want it damaged going out to a lot of venues, even if they still do 
uh, project from films. We're doing sort of a combination of film technology and digital technology now, but the films all have to originate on film. Well, I love the term shepherd. That's such a comforting and encouraging term. And I'm so pleased and happy that you, Anne, were the shepherd for Survivor. Well, thank you, Anne and Ariel, for this extremely interesting and informative interview. Thank Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. interested in media production, check out Media and Monuments, the weekly podcast from women in film and video. Media and Monuments is conversations with industry professionals on a wide range of screen-based media production topics. Through fun and interesting interviews, you'll learn all about what goes into bringing projects to life. It's a great place to gain knowledge and inspiration while celebrating visual storytelling. Find Media and Monuments wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at wifv.org slash podcast. Thank you, Ariel, for such an interesting look at the film and to end for all the work you did for NYWA's Women's Film Preservation Fund. I have to first say, Penny, well done for this interview. You're so informed. You're so engaged. It was just amazing to listen to this interview. And this interview is exactly why we have NYWA. We're so here to support women in film in front and behind the scenes even though we support men as well, just listening, I just was so inspired. And anyone who heard me before, I have a background in filmmaking and and this interview really inspires me to get back into filmmaking because so many voices need to be heard, especially women. And me being a woman of color, um, I put filmmaking on the back burner and dive into journalism, which is my heart. Um, But I'm just inspired about by all the women who made films, who are about to make films, who are currently making films. And I just thank you all for this interview. I'm just moved and just so, so inspired and in awe. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Tammy. And I think what you said about how you put filmmaking on the back burner and you've been doing your publicity and journalism work and entertainment, but even going back to the last interview we had when uh, Giovanna had touched on last week that you don't have to be siloed into one thing that you can wear many different hats. And sometimes people say that you're looked upon, like you're doing too many things. You're spreading yourself too thin. And I think so much of that is born out of necessity because in the past and even a little bit now, a lot of opportunities aren't opened up to us and especially to you as a woman of color as they should be. And you might need to do five different types of jobs or tasks just to get by. So having those skills and being able to maybe venture back into filmmaking is a wonderful thing. And uh, what would you do if you, if you were given money right now to create something, what, what would it be? It would definitely Janine be the horror genre. I would dive back into that first. Not only because I love the genre, but it's just a small niche of black women. I know Nia DaCosta has excelled. Um, Jordan Peele has excelled um, in the horror genre, but it's not a lot of African-Americans in this genre. Um, Though I'm very versatile, I can write and direct anything. I would definitely start with that. But I know the wind will take me and the universe will allow that to come back when the timing is right. So I just want to thank everyone again for that interview, because one day 
<laughs> one day I'm going to get back into it. But right now, journalism, PR is definitely my niche. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's great to take moments like this to take a look back at what women have done in the past to inspire us to create new, wonderful works in the future. And anthology film archives is terrific for that. And I think my, myself, and I'm a classic film lover, I sometimes forget about the programming that they have there. And I get caught up about what's the latest film coming out. It's a great reminder to see where we started, what we've created. And as you said, now you've got inspiration to possibly start working on your own project. And yes, that's what Nywift is all about. That's what this podcast is all about, inspiring and helping each other. And I, I love everything that was discussed uh, in this interview. And I think I might even go back and listen to it again. I couldn't have said it better, Janine. Well, that is a wrap for this episode. Listeners, thank you for joining us. And we, as always, want to hear from you. Reach out and let us know what's on your mind. Tell us if you'd like to be featured in an interview or one of our segments, or if you have a recommendation of someone that we should talk to. Email us at communications at nywift.org. That's N-Y-W-I-F-T.org. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to be subscribed so you won't miss an upcoming episode and take a moment to rate and review us as it helps more people find their way to us. Thanks everyone for listening. Until we meet again, keep on crushing it.